Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. I invite you to turn once again to the book of Revelation as we read Revelation chapter 4. Hear God's holy word. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, And there was a rainbow around the throne, in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass, like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created." This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, the most magnificent room in any palace is usually the throne room. The throne room is where the king or the queen sits when conducting the business of state, like receiving dignitaries and signing bills into law. The room itself is usually quite ornate. In the middle of the room, at the end of a wall, is a raised platform on which sit two chairs, one for the king and the other for the queen, both of which are intricately carved, usually covered in gold leaf with high backs and crimson red upholstery. On either side of the throne, soldiers in regimental uniforms stand guard, while Courtiers and other government officials dressed in fine clothing stand before the throne and wait for their turn to present themselves before the king. It's a wonder to behold. Tourists will pay money and line up for hours just to see the throne room in a palace. Well, this morning we're going to enter into the most spectacular throne room imaginable. 
Only this throne room is not in a palace on earth, but in heaven. And the one who sits on this throne is not some earthly monarch, but God himself. John tells us about this throne room in the chapter that we have just read today from Revelation chapter 4. And it's to this vision that we now turn our attention with God's help. The theme for the sermon is John in the throne room of heaven. And we'll consider, first of all, the wonders he beheld, secondly, the worship he observed, and thirdly, the comfort he received. John had just finished writing the last of the seven letters to the churches of Asia. Suddenly, he saw something he had never seen before. He saw a door open in heaven. Now, an open door usually arouses curiosity. When we see an open door, we instinctively wonder, what's behind the door? And that's especially true for this door, because, as John says, it was open in heaven. And that means that through this door, John could see heaven itself, or at least part of it. Well, as he stood there peering through the door, John heard a voice. It was probably the voice of an angel, but possibly the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the voice, he says, was like a loud trumpet. Now, the trumpet is a loud and clear instrument. That's why it's often used as a signal in battle. Amid the clashing of the armies and the bursting of bombs, the soldiers can always hear the trumpet directing them what to do. And such is the case here as well. The voice that John heard was like a trumpet, meaning it was loud and it was clear. There was no mistaking its meaning. Well, what did the voice say? John tells us. The voice said, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Now, the reference here is to everything that's recorded in the rest of this book. The events that they contain are the things that must take place because they are all ordained by God. And John here is invited to come up so that he can see what these things will be. And as he does, he sees a throne. Now, as mentioned already, this is no ordinary throne. This is the throne of God himself. And significantly, John does not describe the throne. He doesn't tell us what it looks like or what materials it's made of. Nor does he even describe the one who sits on it, who is God. And that stands to reason, because God does not look like anything. He is a spirit. And as such, he is invisible. The Apostle Paul said that God dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. And so instead of focusing on the throne and on the one who sits on the throne, John simply compares him, or rather the glory that emanates from him, to a jasper and a sardius stone. Now both of these stones were among the precious gems on the high priest's breastplate. We can read about that in Exodus 28, verse 17 and 20. They're also among the foundation stones of the New Jerusalem. We can read about that in Revelation 21, verses 19 and 20. And together, these jewels reflect the wealth and the beauty and the glory of God. The idea, as one commentator put it, is that God's appearance far surpasses the splendor of any earthly king's court. Now, following this, John tells us that there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. 
The rainbow was the sign of God's covenant with Noah. By means of that sign, God assured Noah that the world, he would never again destroy the world with a flood. And the fact that it reappears here is probably meant to communicate that God is a covenant-keeping God. When he makes a promise, he keeps it no matter what. But this particular rainbow is different. The rainbows that we see on earth form an arc. But this rainbow forms a circle around the throne, John says, as if to communicate that God's faithfulness knows no beginning and no end. It is eternal. Proceeding from the throne were lightnings and thunderings and voices. This reminds us of the time when God descended from heaven to Mount Sinai in order to give Moses the Ten Commandments. We read about that in Exodus chapter 19. And at that time, too, the mountain shook with lightning and thunder and voices. It was so terrifying, in fact, that Moses later said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Together, the thunder, the lightning, and the voices symbolize the majesty, the glory, and the holiness of God. Now, surrounding the throne, John says, were 24 lesser thrones on which sat 24 elders. Now, these elders are probably angelic beings. They're called elders because they serve as advisors or counselors to God. Not that God needs advisors, of course. He doesn't. He's all-wise. He's all-knowing. But he's willing to involve them in the government of the universe. Together, these elders represent the church of God in both the Old and New Testaments. Twelve elders represent the twelve patriarchs of the Old Testament. Twelve elders represent the twelve apostles of the New Testament. And this parallels the vision of Revelation 21 which reveals that the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel are inscribed on the gates of the heavenly city, and that the wall has twelve foundations on which are written the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Now, what is more, these elders are said to be clothed in white robes, and that symbolizes their holiness and their righteousness. They also had on their heads crowns of gold, symbolizing their royal status, and before the throne, John says, were seven lamps of fire. This image is borrowed from the prophecy of Zechariah, chapter 4, verses 2 and 6. There, too, Zechariah sees seven lamps. These lamps, John says, are the seven spirits of God. The number seven is a number of fullness. These seven spirits, therefore, refer to the ultimate spirit, who is the Holy Spirit. Also before the throne, John says, there was a sea of glass like crystal. The commentators differ on the meaning of this sea. Most likely, however, especially in light of Revelation's later usage, the sea is a symbol for the chaos of unbelief and rebellion in the world. And the fact that this sea has now become like glass is meant to communicate that all of the forces that stand in opposition against God have been subdued once and for all. And that, of course, through the death and resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, we read that in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures. This harkens back to the four living creatures that Ezekiel saw in Ezekiel 1 and again in chapter 10. And these are probably cherubim, a class of angels that are closely connected to God and serve as the guardians of God's holiness. And you notice that there are four of them. That corresponds to the four winds of heaven, the four directions of the compass. 
And their eyes see in every direction, mirroring the all-seeing eyes of God. And they also had six wings, meaning they can travel swiftly wherever they are commanded to go. Now, the first of these creatures, John says, appeared as a lion. The second appeared as a calf or an ox. The third had a face like a man, and the fourth appeared as an eagle. So what do these creatures represent? Well, it's impossible to be certain, but it appears that each of these creatures reflects something of the glory of God. And so the creature with the face of a lion symbolizes kingship. The creature with the face of an ox symbolizes power and strength. The creature with the face of a man symbolizes intelligence, and the creature with the face of an eagle symbolizes majesty. Well, these then are the wonders that John saw in the throne room of heaven. And what wonders these were? Aside from Ezekiel, who also had a vision of the throne room of God, no one had ever seen such wonders before. Now, what can we learn from all of this? Well, first of all, we learn here how great and how awesome God is. Who is like God? We cannot compare him to anything. He is far beyond our imagination. In Isaiah 46, verse 5, God asks, To whom will you liken me and make me equal, and compare me that we should be alike? Remember this. And show yourselves men. Recall to mind, O you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. And I submit to you that the church today, that perhaps some of us need to be reminded of this truth. In so much of modern-day evangelicalism, God has been brought down to our level. We have largely today lost a sense of the holiness and the transcendence of God. For most people today, God is nothing more than a cosmic Santa Claus, a benign grandfather who just loves everybody and wants to do nice things for everybody, who's never angry and will never punish us for our sins. Well, the vision of our text chapter provides a necessary and timely corrective to that view. The God of the Scriptures, the God whom we worship, the God with whom we have to do is great and awesome. There is no one and there is nothing like Him in all the earth. And therefore let all the earth bow down before this God and honor Him. We learn here, secondly, the urgency of being at peace with God. The Bible teaches that when we die, we will all have to stand before this God. And in this same throne room. And I wonder, have you considered the exalted description of this room, the exalted description of this God? Are you ready to stand before him? Some people never seem to think about this. They live their lives like there's no tomorrow. They think that one day they'll have to stand before this God, and they don't think that that's true, but, but one day they will. And, and what then? Well, then they'll be confronted with the awesome holiness and the majesty of God. And Jesus says that they will call on the rocks to fall on them and the mountains to cover them, anything to avoid the holy gaze of God. But it will all be in vain, for no one can hide from him. God will seek them out, and in his fury he will cast them into hell, where they will remain forever and ever, so long as they remain unrepentant. 
Thankfully, however, the Lord has made it possible for sinners like us to stand before him, and it's through faith in the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only because of him, because he suffered and he died, that John can stand before him and live. And the same is true for us. Dear friends, the only way we can stand before such a holy God is if we are in Christ. So let me ask you, are you in Christ? If not, how can you possibly stand before this God? You can't. And therefore I say to you in all solemnity, repent of your sins. Look to him. Believe on him. Trust in him. Apart from him, you will perish. But in him, you will live to all eternity. And so John beholds these great wonders. But he also observed exalted worship. That brings us to our second point. As John drank in the sight of the heavenly throne room of God, he heard voices. Now, the first voices were those of the four creatures. And they said, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And they did so, John says, day and night without ceasing. Now, in the Bible, repetition is used to emphasize something important. When something is repeated three times, then it's very important. And that's the case here as well. John here is emphasizing the holiness of God. And he's saying God is not just holy, but he is thrice holy. He is supremely holy. Now that may be a veiled reference also to the Trinity. Each occurrence of the word holy may refer to each of the three persons of the Trinity. In other words, that the Father is holy, the Son is holy, and the Holy Spirit is holy. He is the supremely holy God. Now following this, the cherubim creatively build on the seraphic song of Isaiah 6, verse 3. And they do that by describing God's lordship over the past, over the present, and over the future. They say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And that same phrase is used in chapter 1, verse 4. Now these words express the eternal nature of of God. They tell us that God has no beginning and no end, and he does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then John says that whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne. And they say, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Notice what's happening here. First of all, John says the elders fall down before God. This is a posture of great humility. In doing this, they acknowledge the majesty and the supreme authority of God, and they pledge their submission, their obedience, and their reverence. They also cast their crowns before him. Now, when we think of a crown, we think of an ornately carved golden headdress studded with jewels that kings and queens wear, but The crowns mentioned here are actually victory wreaths. 
In ancient times, when an athlete won an athletic contest, a laurel wreath would be placed on his head as a sign of victory and honor. Well, here we see the 24 elders representing the church in the Old and New Testaments casting these crowns before God. And in doing that, they're acknowledging that they don't deserve those crowns. They rightly belong to God who gave them and who achieved the victory. Thirdly, they cry, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. As evidence of the supreme worthiness of God, the elders single out his action of creation. As one commentator explains, as creator, God has absolute mastery, ownership, and control over what he has created. In creation, every speck, every atom, every detail of pattern, the very being of everything is derived from the hand of God. His triumph was absolute, his power and wisdom unfathomable, his glory superb. So we learn here what true worship is, don't we? You know, worship in many churches today has taken the focus largely off of God and has put it on man, but not true of the worship of heaven. The worship of heaven is completely focused on God, and it exalts him in the most exalted language. It praises him for his holiness, for who he is, and for what he has done both in the realm of creation and in the realm of redemption. My friends, is that true of our worship? Is our worship focused on God? When we sing, are our thoughts focused on God? When we offer our gifts, are our thoughts focused on God? When we listen to the sermon, are our thoughts focused on God? And what about our lives? You know, our entire lives are to be an act of worship to God. Although the Lord's Day is a special day of worship, every day is to be a day of worship. And whatever we do, at the job site, in the office, looking after our children, changing the dirty diapers, doing chores around the house, everything we do is to be an act of worship to God. And just as the four creatures and the 24 elders never stopped praising and worshiping God, neither should we. Our lives should mirror the activities in the throne room of God. Well, is that true for you and me today? Do we live every day, quorum Deo, before the face of God? Is everything that we do, everything that we say, even the thoughts of our mind, are they an act of worship to God? They ought to be, or we're not ready for heaven. We will feel most uncomfortable there if every act that we do on earth is not done to the glory of of God. And so John observed true worship in heaven, but he also received great comfort. That brings us to our third point. The vision that God, that John received, must have been immensely comforting to him. Now, to see that, we need to consider the context. Why is this vision here? Why is it that immediately after recording the seven letters to the churches of Asia, God brings John into his heavenly throne room? Well, the answer is very simple. It's because in a few moments, John is going to witness terrible and even, even frightening things. 
And it begins in the very next chapter. There we have the account of the Lamb of God taking the scroll that was sealed with seven seals. And as we'll see in chapter 6, the breaking of these seals unleashed terrible judgments on the earth. Conflict, war, famine, death, and epic cosmic disturbances. And this will be repeated throughout the rest of the book of Revelation. In fact, the book of Revelation consists of seven parallel cycles. And each cycle describes the period between the first and second comings of Christ, but from seven different perspectives. Now, before these cycles begin, God wants to assure John and us that he is in control. He's on the throne. And therefore, we have nothing to fear. Now, dear friends, how we need to be reminded of this very truth. We're living during the time described by John in Revelation. Now, there are some well-meaning Christians who, say, who would have us believe that believers will be whisked away before these terrible things happen. But that's simply not true. The Bible doesn't teach that believers will be raptured from the earth. No, it teaches that they too will experience the unleashing of God's judgments on the earth. In fact, if you're all aware of what's going on, you will know that we're experiencing some of those things right now. The seals have already been broken. The judgments of God have already been unleashed on the earth. Terrible things are happening in our world and have been happening for millennia. Also here in our own country. Our society is becoming more and more evil and corrupt with each passing year. Our economy seems to be tanking. Inflation is rampant. There are wars and there are rumors of war. Good is being called evil. And evil is being called good. And it looks very dark indeed. The future does not look good at all. But the vision of our text assures us that God is on his throne. He is in control. And therefore, we have nothing to fear. Now, isn't that not a great comfort? We don't know what the future holds. But John in our text reminds us who holds the future, and it is God. This great, mighty, powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing, holy God. Jesus said, in the world we will have tribulation, and indeed we will. But Christ has overcome the world. And one day all of his and our enemies will be defeated once and for all. And therefore, dear friends, let us not be discouraged. Rather, let us strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Let us say to those who are fearful and faint-hearted, be strong and do not fear. For behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you, says the Lord. Amen. Dear friends, it's our great joy to be able to preach to you the word of God every Sunday on this station. If you were blessed by, or if you have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Won't you please take a moment and write to us a short note. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. 
Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. And when you write to us, please indicate the call letters of this station. If you take the time to write to us, we'll gladly send you free of charge a wonderful booklet entitled Faith of Our Fathers. In this booklet, Pastor Neil Prunk, the former radio pastor of this program, explains the so-called doctrines of grace, and we hope that it may be a rich blessing to you. Please note that we do not send out CDs of our radio messages. However, you can access and download all of our messages at any time from our website. You can find the website at www dot banner of truth radio dot com support for this program is provided by the free reformed churches of north america for more information about our churches including where you can find a church nearest you please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org thank you for listening and now until next week may the lord be with you all